where we put our attention, we worship, and where we worship, we follow. And the following is where our behavior shows up. Hello, this is the Adventures Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are Karen. Good morning. And Tracy. Good morning. And maybe later we will get Amy. She said she'll <laughs> join when she can. We'll see what we'll see what that means. I am not wearing a skirt today. I mean it's close. <laughs> it's close. <laughs> I'm all I'm all dressed up ready to go to our local local ish Colorado Renaissance Festival and uh Everybody is dressing up, so I've got my great kilt on, and I've got my. It's called so, a. So court. I can see Matt's face and neck, like that's what shows <clears throat> on my computer screen, right? So he like pops on the screen, and my first thought is, is he wearing a torque? Because like I can see this like twisted metal thing coming around his neck. So turns out he is wearing a torque. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> now, when I think of dressing up for a Renaissance festival, it involves corsets. Matt is not wearing a corset. <laughs> I'm not wearing. See, that's the good thing about dressing up like a Scottish guy. I can be a fat slob and well, that, maybe that's a little rude, but <laughs> <laughs> okay, let, let's just say kilts are rather uh, forgiving Comfort. and comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Sitting here in my office with the door closed so that the dogs don't run in here and make a make a racket and uh, with, well, I we have a ceiling fan on, but there's not a lot of moving air in here and um Wearing and this much of wool. wool is a little, it's a little a bit of a daunting experience, but I shall prevail. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, that is a misuse of the scripture. <laughs> that I does know. not apply to wearing a great kilt. That when doesn't apply to wool. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with him? <laughs> well, we will, we will possibly be talking about sheep later, which involves wool. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> all right all right well now that i'm now that i'm done taking scripture out of context mm-hmm. how about we put some scripture into context we are continuing our discussion today in we're going to start in the book of matthew chapter 15 if my yes matthew chapter 15 uh now i would have told you and I, in fact i did tell the panel here last week that we had already talked about these first couple of subjects in Matthew 15. Wait, hang I, on, hang on real quick. Tracy, yeah. did you hear? We're on a panel. A panel. We're panels. My, so important. Now. my panel important. of the distinguished experts. Yes. <laughs> it's because we all have birthdays coming up. Well, I have, I mean, had I, a birthday. I don't. Well, that's, we all. that's true. Everyone wish, wish Tracy a happy birthday. He just, he just turned another year older he can decide i'm not going to tell you how old he is Perfect. but he did mention that he's gone from zero to 60 in a very short time no figured out it was <laughs> it was karen went from zero to 60 because she didn't even say happy birthday first she just said how old are you <laughs> like, what? Sorry, happy wait a minute where's the happy birthday first <laughs> <laughs> well by the time this goes out i will have turned another year older too I've turned I turned 51 on in a couple of days here. So I am more than half a century old. That's I'm dealing with it. 
Once you hit halfway, aren't you supposed to round up? Um, uh-huh. to like a hundred to the next. I think hole. yeah, maybe. I think you just get to a point where you're like, I don't care. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> How old are you? I, you know, I, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Just bring me. Well, my warranty expired. I care. Like I, I don't even know what happened. <laughs> oh, okay, off the rails. Yeah. Again, sorry. <laughs> yep. So, so anyway, Matthew 15. As we were discussing what we were going to talk about this week, we were all looking at it and going, well, I think we've talked about half this chapter already. But then as I started digging in, I realized, no, we've talked about similar things, but not these stories specifically. So let's dig into these. And some of this probably will sound a little familiar to you because we probably touched on it when we were talking about some other stuff. But uh, the Jesus is in a situation where he is with the scribes and Pharisees, and um, apparently they're either sharing a meal or they're watching the, the disciples share a meal. And the scribes and Pharisees get up in arms because the disciples are breaking tradition by not ritually washing before eating. Uh, now, we talked about this before to some, to, a, to an extent because we talked about Jesus ta- um, with the washing of the outside of the cup without washing the inside of the cup. And it's in, what's inside that is dirty and needs cleaning more than the outside. And, and this is kind of what he, he says to, to them. He's like, well, you guys break commandments by keeping traditions. So and he, he brings out a specific example of something that was called, I think they pronounce it Corban or Corban, where a person was able to pledge like their fortune, if you want to call it that, to the temple, like I, I guess after they die. And then as they are living, they are saying, I can't take care of my parents because my money is all Corban. It's all going to the temple when I die. And Jesus is going, no, you you are breaking commandments by keeping traditions. You are you are putting traditions ahead of everything else. And in this, you are. You're missing the entire point. You're supposed to be taking care of parents. You know, he's like, well, it's sort of a what about you guys thing, but he's making a really good point here where if a tradition makes you break a commandment, then the tradition should go. He talks about how you honor me with these people, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He says in vain, they worship me teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. Um, So I don't know what, 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 what do you say? What do you say about that with this idea of traditions over, over God's actual commandments? I think that humans are particularly susceptible to that. Um, God's commandments all, they may affect your behavior, but they all root around your heart. Mm-hmm. And that is that is not observable or measurable until it comes out in behavior. Okay, so the commandments pretty much address behavior, right? Yeah. For the most part. But then, and if you <clears throat> if you think about how they got distracted from the heart of the matter in the Old Testament during the sacrificial system, like you can remember, like we've, we've already gone through all that. All of these times where 
if they show up and they go to synagogue on the weekend and they do all the sacrifices and they, you know, follow the rote things, then clearly they're in the clear and they're there's they're saved and they're God's chosen and the heart of the matter doesn't doesn't uh well it doesn't matter. But then you you fast forward to when Jesus was here and he said the exact opposite. He said, you've heard it said, you know, do not do this, do not do that. I'm telling you to watch your heart because it's your heart where this stuff starts. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm remembering that text in Proverbs that says, above all things, guard your heart for from it spring the issues of life. Yeah. So. I think it's very easy to what did what did uh, Samuel say? God looks on or man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. When he was looking at Jesse's sons, you know, stuff like that, and looking mm-hmm. for the or was it God that said that to Samuel when he was trying to choose David? Right, he's there, he's looking at Jesse's sons, and he's like, "Well, look at him; he's tall and good looking. He's got to be the right one." And then, no, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And it's so easy for us to lose that, lose sight of that, and then like we think that. We think that because we can't see dad looking over our shoulder that we got away with that stupid behavior that we did. But and without ever realizing that the stupid behavior came from a selfish heart. Right. Yep. Does that make sense. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think just yeah, it's just corruptible. Your heart is corruptible. Right. Right. And that's that's where Jesus is coming from on all this. And it, that's, you know, when he the way he sort of starts to close out this whole concept it's it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man but what comes out of the mouth so you know the, the these things are getting related to food and and how we eat and you know this stuff this stuff but but what he's trying to say is you know none of this is about that it's it's the things you say it's it's the things you think the way you act the way you treat other people these are the things that define cleanliness or uncleanliness, not whether or not you've dipped your hands in a little bowl of water before you eat. Because we're not talking about going to the restroom, using antibacterial soap, washing your hands for 20 seconds front and back, making sure you get in between the fingers and, and, and the thumbs real good. You know, Well, this- you should be. Don't you know what worship is all about? <laughs> <laughs> Well, by now we should all know how to wash our hands. We we should have had some pretty good lessons on that over the last few years, you know. But that's that's a different thing because Jesus isn't talking about germs, and realistically, neither were the scribes and Pharisees. They're not. Did they? They didn't even know about that stuff, you know. They 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 knew about things that had been passed down from those things we read in Leviticus. So yeah, you were supposed to wash at least best you could. So that you wouldn't be quote unquote unclean, but they had turned it into a ritual where the washing of the hands was supposed to do something to your soul or something. I don't, you know, I don't know exactly, but it wasn't about, it wasn't about physical cleanliness at all. It was about whether or not you were a decent person. And, and so that's where Jesus is going. No, that's not it at all. It's, it's. You're getting, you're getting hung up on the rule itself yeah. and you're, you're losing its meaning. Well, and we like that. I mean, we humans like that. That's the lazy way to do things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Saying, you know. You can fit. drop your sincerity and drop your actual critical thought, and you can just float on mm. superficial behavior and get all kinds of lazy inside. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the well, divorce rate. What does that tell you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, and that's where that Corbin came in, came into play where it's like, okay, yeah, on the surface, you're doing everything that the quote unquote law says that you should do or can do, but you're, you're playing, you're playing a fence here. You're, you're riding on that fence thinking that you're going to, you're, you're, you're achieving something through this when really you're not. And not only that, but you're, you're harming other people through it. Yep. So, so, um, <laughs> I love, I love the, the, uh, response that Jesus gives when the disciples tell him, you know what, you're, I think you offended those guys. And, <laughs> and, and Jesus is like, yeah, <laughs> and he goes, they're the blind leaders of the blind. So basically he's like, so yeah and you know that's a i think maybe that's a great lesson for us too now we got to be careful with that though because you know not everybody who criticizes us is a is a pharisee or a sadducee but oftentimes when somebody has taken an offense to something maybe it's not worth getting worked up over their being offended you know um maybe maybe their offense is Maybe their offense is on the wrong side of the tracks, you know, uh, but, you know, it's like, well, uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, um, you know, I'm sorry you're offended. That's that's not that's not much of, a, of an apology, but that's sort of the way Jesus is right here. He's like, you know, you know, they're wrong. So I guess I'm not worried about it. But, yep, they're the blind leading the blind. I'd like to welcome Amy to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? I haven't good. been listening for about the last five minutes. I saw you sneak in. Yeah, yeah. we saw you sneak in. We could we could hear your breathing. Ah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Am I a mouth breather or what? <laughs> I th- well, I think your intelligence proves that even if you are, we're not going to judge you for it. <laughs> we know you by your fruits. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. You know, I have in my notes that that even though Jesus did say they're the blind leaders of the blind, you know, he didn't tell it to them. Yeah. He, he gave them he gave them the fact. He gave them the truth. But he didn't do it to their face. It, this was like behind, you know, while he's there while they're walking away, you know, they're continuing on their journey. He's like, "Man, I think you offended him." Yeah, but you know what? I know I probably did. But I I look at that and sometimes I think, you know what, when we do that or say something against a person, are we adding fuel or are we adding water to the situation? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because while you can give a person the truth, I think you also have to, it's all in presentation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, even though he he corrected them. You know, I think he did it with a little bit of tact. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he, he was quick to tell him, you know, this is this is what it is. You know, th- they don't have it. They, they don't have the correct answer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes I wonder if we just take certain liberties because we know we're, you know, in the right. Maybe we don't have that certain tact, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We, there's no reason for us to ever need to intentionally offend someone but if someone gets offended through speaking of truth we don't have to be apologetic for it either and like you said it's not sometimes it's how you say it you can be 100 percent right about something you say 
and the way you said it can turn somebody off so quickly. Yes. And then you have you all you have done, all you've managed to do is is get them angry and they're still not hearing it. Yep. So I think a very large part of that is whatever your personal relationship with the person that you're let's just call it criticizing because that's what we're talking about is your personal relationship with the person that you're criticizing. Because intimacy, um, I think, gives you allowance. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. this person, I okay, so someone is criticizing me. If that's a stranger, I'm going to get my back up so fast. Because mm-hmm. who are they to walk into my life and mouth off to me about what I ought to be doing 10 seconds after they, right? Okay, that's pretty easy to be offended by. And by human standards, that's completely justifiable. They don't know me. They don't know me. They don't know my reasons. They don't know why I'm doing it. They don't know if what I'm doing is makes perfect sense from my point of view because I've spent 20 years working that point of view up. Or if it's just a whim decision that I made and they can just come in there from their perspective and judge me, right? Our entire society is based on that. Look at social media, right? But if that person knows me, if they love me, if I can trust them, then I hear their same criticism. The exact same words could come out of their mouth, but I will hear that differently because I know that they aren't, that they know me. They know what they're saying. So, okay, so then let's take this to Jesus. If you believe that Jesus is the son of God and he criticizes you, you shut your mouth and listen, right? But if you're a Pharisee, like, you know, like, like these guys, if you're the societal leaders and here comes this stranger who says he has authority over you and mouths off and criticizes what you're doing, well, now he's just being a jerk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and I think it goes the same way. And I, while I agree with you, I think, too, that just that intimacy that you have and that it could still hurt. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know, and I think sometimes even the people we know the the most, sometimes criticism from them, even though it's, it is, maybe it is truth, it has the ability to, to definitely cut you deep. But I, in my, I will at least listen because I can trust that they're not just being mean. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, you can. Yeah, ideally, if somebody knows you intimately and they, they, they criticize or throw what seems like criticism your way, at least you have a bit of reassurance that they know something about you. A hope. Yeah. (laughs) And not always. I mean, sometimes those yeah. people closest to us can get critical for the wrong reasons, and yeah. and then it hurts more. And but, how many relationships have been ruined? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but you know, ideally, if it's a good relationship, and somebody you know says that's that's not good, you you can at least hope that it's coming from a, a, a place of love, even if they're not totally understanding the situation, they probably have a better understanding and it might come across as a little more legitimate. Than or they're simply telling you something you don't want to hear because you were very comfortable doing what you were doing. Thank you very much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And so it's, I don't know, it can be a slippery slope. It's a tricky, a tricky thing to, to offer critique 
uh, and not have it sound like criticism. And uh, yeah, yeah. Telling what, you, do it in the form of a question. You can get away with all manner of sincere concern if you do it in the form of a question. I'm mm. telling you. <laughs> so should you be eating that donut right now? <laughs> uh, yeah, that How doesn't do you use... think the scale feels when you stand on it? No, just mm. kidding. Don't do it. <laughs> no, How don't do that. old are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, the 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 last bit of this story, and this is an interesting part, and this could take us, I don't know, this could take us on a tangent that takes us the rest of the episode. I don't know. But when you look at the parallel of this in Mark, Jesus says, whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And then in NIV, the way it says that is Jesus declared all foods clean. How do we how do we interpret that word or that that uh, the that verse in Mark in relation to this? Is Jesus talking about making unclean foods clean? Um, is because one of the notes in the NIV that I saw it was that, or actually, how did I know it was the notes in my New King James was saying that that little last bit might have been a bit that Mark threw in as as uh as an aside afterwards um but in niv it's at the, it almost it's it's like this statement that jesus made everything clean at that point is this about food is this about you know what is this well i was just wondering if that text is actually in the early manuscripts or if that was added by some uh scribe who was like hey i bet that's what he meant um, you know, I wondered, is it actually in the earliest copies of the book of Mark? Did Mark put that in or is that something that's added later? And I unfortunately don't have my commentaries unpacked yet. Well, we don't have a house yet. So, but <laughs> we're working on it. So yeah. that is a question in the back of my mind because we've run across some verses like that um, because I, in my mind, I, this is what I think. I think. If God was going to change something that, you know, 200 or more times in the Old Testament, he condemns those who eat swine's flesh. You know, I mean, it's very blatant. It's not just like, oh, yeah. Um, it, it's pretty bold. And if he was going to change that, you'd think he'd make a sort of a more general statement, I guess. Mm -hmm. What so, verse is this? I'm not seeing it. I've got my parallel version. Mark, if you're in oh. Mark 7. I, think it's I was in the Matthew version of it. Yeah. So if you get into Mark chapter seven, verse, um, well, it's 18 and 19. And it depends. It's sort of the wording. The wording is interesting because it depends. If you read King James, it's like Jesus is saying, once you digest the food, it's, you know, you've, you've, it's, it's, it, it's a non-issue. Whereas, uh, NIV seems to be making it as if Jesus is saying, no, that's all fine and dandy now. Don't worry about that at all. But, you know, when I read this, I'm saying Jesus isn't even talking about food. Okay, you know, we can we can look at those dietary laws and we can say, okay, is pork good for you? Lots of doctors would say no. Um, but is the fact that a guy eats bacon for breakfast, does that make him a bad person? 
And to that, I would again say no. Um, mm-hmm. If he does, he does he skip bacon for breakfast, and that makes him a healthier person, probably. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking at all. So I think personally, I think the NIV here kind of got it wrong, where the New King James is saying it in a very different direction, where he's like, "You eat it, you digest it, you poop it out. It's a non-issue." And because these guys, none of these guys here would have been eating unclean foods. That wasn't, again, that wasn't the point. The point wasn't about, and it wasn't about germs. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't about any of these things. It was about, it was about heart issues. Uh, and I don't mean. <laughs> cardiovascular. <laughs> cardiovascular stuff. stuff from eating too much bacon and having too much cholesterol. Well, so the, the, I agree with you. Like the point of the passage seems to be that Jesus is saying, it's what we do that makes us into, you know, it, it's what we do that is the sin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and and so that is clearly what Jesus is saying. And then, well, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Oh, and okay. Well, then the other part of that is later on we have Peter's uh, vision. You know, he's always being sent to the Gentiles, and this is like when Cornelius has been praying in Acts chapter ten, and and Peter very clearly says. Um, you know, Lord, I've never taken anything unclean into my mouth. And this is like a couple years after Jesus has said this. So Peter's still not eating unclean meats. So you would think that Jesus would have said, oh, no, 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 let's, you know, let's have pork tonight or let's have bacon for breakfast if it was, if it was changed. And yet here's Peter a couple of years later saying, I don't eat that stuff. You know, so that's interesting that that we still have a, a church and the apostles um, who are saying, you know, I don't eat those things. And then in the text in Acts chapter 10, um, he goes on to tell Cornelius, I know the Lord has shown me that um, I'm not to call any man unclean. I'm mm-hmm. not supposed to separate myself from the Gentiles anymore. And so Peter understood what God was telling him through the vision to be a reference to individuals and humans and not to whether or not we eat unclean meats. Yeah. Okay. So my Bible, so I've got this parallel version, right? So I go to the new King James, which includes the phrase, thus purifying all foods at the end of verse 19, but then it's got a little letter, right? So I go down and I read the letter and it says the NU text ends quotation with eliminated setting off the final clause as Mark's comment that Jesus had declared all foods clean. Okay. So for those of us, so for those of us who aren't, what is wrong with my throat? (laughs) You can do it. (laughs) Frogs are unclean, Karen. Don't, don't eat them. (laughs) Okay. I think I'm done. They get stuck in your throat. So, um, so I looked up what the NU text was. I couldn't find it in the foreword of my Bible, which I thought would have it, but the internet knows. So here's what it says. These variations from the traditional text generally represent the Alexandrian or Egyptian type of text, the oldest but sometimes questioned text. They are found in the critical text published in the 26th edition of the Nestle Aland Greek New Testament, which is the N, and in the United Bible Society's third edition, which is the U, hence the acronym NU text. So the origin is the oldest scrolls 
the authenticity of which is sometimes questioned or the content. I'm not sure which was clear. It just said sometimes questioned text. So interesting. That's that's my. Mm -hmm. Well, I think when yeah, we get that's down. That's the kind of thing I was wondering about. Yeah, yeah. You know, is that actually in the original text? So that's yeah. helpful. Thank you. Yeah, because yeah, mine said it may have just been a comment by Mark, but yeah, as we know, sometimes Bible scribes later would add, well, like we talked about with the um, the Pool of Bethesda, where there was a little section there that may have been added by a scribe later to try to explain something, thinking that people weren't going to be able to make make up their own decision on that. Uh, you know, but when we get right down to it, at the end, you know, we we can say this: Jesus was very, very clear about saying this is not about rules. This mm -hmm. is not about this is not about statutes. <clears throat> this is about your heart. This is about your mind. This is about uh, you as a person. And so, it's not for us now in the 21st century to judge somebody for what they're eating. Uh, that's for them to decide. Because um, I, I, I do think that Jesus was saying, don't get so <laughs> caught up in the rules that you miss the point of the rules. And, and um, don't get so caught up in rules that then, or your perception of rules, that you then end up breaking actual commandments. Um, Back to the point that we started with. Right. I think what you said is super important, you know, like don't let your rules um, make you break actual commandments. Like that's, that is the most articulate way to say that. And number two, we've all met people whose religion is their diet and we mm -hmm. can't fall into that category. Like don't be that person who's like, yeah, we should be careful with our diet. Our body is the temple of God. Those are, those are factors that come into it, but what we eat is not our religion. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, these days, you I mean, you can read all kinds of things. They're going to tell you that lard is going to be better for you than Crisco, you know. So some of the things we're eating now by trying to avoid other things is way worse for us. So, and I'm, you know, I'm not the medical professional on, on the show, so I won't comment too much <laughs> more on that. But they're, they're neither so, one of them health foods, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you're saying that I can't have a plate full of both lard and Crisco for breakfast? Is that what, is that what I'm understanding? I mean, Karen, I yeah, guess. Why are you guys so critical of my behavior? Can't you just leave me alone? <laughs> as long as you're, you're, you know, dipping it in with broccoli or something like that. I don't know. Well, I always do. Okay. <laughs> Last I time I... My, I pulled out my 1611 King James. Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draft, purging all meats. End of verse. Okay. But um, here's the problem with just reading part of a conversation in the Bible. And admittedly, the Bible doesn't always provide complete conversation, so that's a frustrating thing. But the verses that come directly after this, and he said, what comes out of, what comes out of a man that defiles a man for from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts adulteries fornications murders thefts covetousness wickedness deceit lewdness an evil eye blasphemy pride foolishness all these evil things come from within and defile a man defile a man that's his point yeah yeah but yeah. it's once again it's it's you guys are missing the big picture you're getting caught up on these small things and you're missing the big picture again. 
you're not getting it. Mm-hmm. You're getting stuck on the rules. Yeah. So he's <clears throat> what did was he talking to the Pharisees or Sadducees? Sadducees, I can't remember. He was talking to the religious leaders of the day in some form, and he said, "Jesus says, you tithe your mint and your cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law." So. Mm-hmm. What was it? Justice, mercy, and I don't remember what else. So, again, you're you're caught up in the behavioral parts that you can measure and be measured by. Like it, when he lectured them about fasting, right? So you go around and you powder your faces so that you look pale. And you go around trying to look right. So you're trying to do all of the things that can be measured by your fellow man, and you're forgetting the fact that God sees your heart. Right. So that really that really is the point of it, and. You know, so they, so today, if if you judge in your walk with Jesus that that all foods are clean and and you know and, and everything is fair game, um, I'm not here to judge you. If you <laughs> if you uh, declare for yourself that God set rules early on for human health. And you want to follow those rules and be more aware of what you eat. I'm not here to judge you. Um, this is but it's between you and Christ. It's your heart issue with Christ, and uh, you you you've you've got to walk that path yourself. So just to but the big picture, like like Tracy is saying, is is uh, it's not about it's not simply about actions. It's not simply about rules. All righty. Well, the next portion of this, again, it's it's one that I would have thought that we had talked about, but I think it was a different story. Um, a Greek woman comes to Jesus. We know she's a Greek woman because Mark tells us she's Greek. And she has a demon-possessed daughter. This is, this is kind of an odd situation. I think maybe because reading it in black and white or black and red and white, depending on your, your Bible translation, be, because because nuance can get lost in in text, uh, as we should know by texting and using social media, and the the back and forth between her and Jesus here is so interesting. Well, I just want to preface this story by pointing out the fact that it talks about the fact that Jesus gets up and goes to the borders of Tyre and Sidon, mm. and then at the end of the story it says, "And from there he went back." So before we look at this story that seems so harsh and so strange, we need to remember that Jesus went there to find her. Mm-hmm. And to me, once I realized that context, I, it really opened my eyes because he does something so strange in this story. And yet in reality, he went there looking for her. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, doesn't that kind of ring true with what you know of Jesus in your personal life? Like sometimes you're like, what does that mean? But then you realize, okay, that's God talking to me. So I'm going to listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, I mean, I, I think I get what's going on in this story because I am a person whose love language is sarcasm. Yes. <laughs> oh, you must be friends for a reason. No. <laughs> One of the reasons Karen and I became friends very, very quickly was because the very first day we met each other, we looked at each other and went, I can throw jabs at that person <laughs> and they're going to throw them right back at me and we're going to have a grand old time of it. So, and I really do think that that's sort of what's happening here, where what sounds, what sounds kind of cruel is actually intended in a more playful fashion. 
Um, and if you weren't there and if you don't understand that that back and forth between people, uh, it can seem it can seem a bit rough. Yeah. So what you're saying is absolutely true. Like you can tell if you read it in that spirit, you can tell Jesus likes her. Like mm-hmm. it's not just the the benevolent love of God. It's the man Jesus thinks that she's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 But so she comes to Jesus and, you know, she's trying to get everybody's attention because her 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 daughter is demon possessed. Now, what that means, you know, we've talked here before. Does that mean actual demon in her? In this case, probably, um, you know, but uh, something's going on with her daughter. But Jesus doesn't answer. It's like he doesn't even hear. Um, and I, I suspect he's doing this largely to teach his disciples a lesson. Um, cause he, you know, he knows what he's going to do. I think we know what he's going to do. Maybe if you're reading this story for the first time, you don't quite know what he's going to do, but Matt, you know, this, yeah, maybe you should read it yeah, because you're right. it flows very interesting. So let's, yeah, let's read it. Uh, let's see. So we're starting in verse 24. Uh, whoops. So that's Mark. Let me get back to Matthew since that's what we're really looking at. Um, they're both pretty similar, so it doesn't much matter. Okay, so uh, Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And so we can see how it at the at the at the surface, it would almost seem like Jesus is being a little cruel to this woman because she's not Jewish. Um, but there are those little nuances that you see, like Amy saying, it's like he went here, it would seem, specifically to find this woman and help her. Yeah. Um, in verse 29, which is at the end of, I mean, the beginning of the next story, it says Jesus departed from there, from Tyre and Sidon, and came over to the Sea of Galilee. And again, it, it even repeats that in Mark. It says, and again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon. So we're clear about the fact that we're not just starting another story. We're actually leaving Tyre and Sidon. He came to the Sea of Galilee. Um, and so, again, you know, he's there to see her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's he's there to see her, and the disciples, apostles, are getting worked up about this woman who is looking for is seeking help. You know the 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 one I want to criticize the most, or the those that I want to criticize the most here, is the apostles in this in this story, because yeah, okay, Jesus is staying quiet, but I think it's to allow his apostles to show their colors here a little bit. Where they're going, where, you know, they're going, send her away. You know, she's she's causing trouble. And and uh, Jesus is just sort of letting mouth off for a bit. Yeah, that's totally what Jesus is doing, because you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, like the Jewish people were in the habit at this point of thinking, you know, of other people as completely unclean, like not even lovable by God. Right. And mm-hmm. so 
it, the Good Samaritan, um, we've got a Levite and a priest who see a wounded man and go the long way around so as to avoid him. Um, because, well, they don't want to get near anything unclean. So talk about your religion interfering with, the, you know, with what God's plan is. So, yeah, Jesus is very much pointing out that attitude to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then when Jesus res- does finally respond, it's it's curious who he's talking to or who the, who the words are actually for. Let's say it that way. When he says, I was not sent except to the lost house of Israel. Was he speaking to the woman, but so that the apostles would hear and hear him saying something sort of like what they wanted to hear? Uh, You know, they were thinking that by being Israelites, they were special. They were thinking that they were in this this special place because of their birthright. They were special because of their birthright. They were supposed to be the shining example that the world would look at and go, oh, my gosh, how did they get that? I want what they have. Mm -hmm. And they had, you know, with the with the arrival of Jesus and the process of his crucifixion and the removal of the sacrificial system, because now the Lamb of God has arrived, you know, through that whole process, they lost that special spot. Mm hmm. They don't even know it. Like they're looking at the Lamb of God and they don't even they don't even know it. Right. Right. Because I think we keep saying it over and over. They just they missed it. They missed it through all the rules of trying to obtain it themselves. Yeah. Well, I I do think it's neat, though, that Jesus, you know, I mean. He has called these disciples. And so even though people in Israel had this attitude, Jesus is able to talk to them. He's able to show them, you know, this is an attitude that you're harboring in your heart against these other people, these outsiders. And I want to show you a different way. So even though he's calling them out on it right now, he, he knows that ultimately they are going to spread the gospel to the world. So right now he's opening their eyes. Yeah. And, and, and in a way he's opening their eyes in a way of basically just giving them a little rope and letting them, letting them uh, just see how far they'll go where, I mean, we've seen, we've seen things like where, you know, you want us to cast fire down on them, Lord, or call fire down on, you know, <laughs> on, on, on places where they, if they weren't listening or, or and, and such, but here where they're just wanting this woman to go away. And Jesus is just sort of like, yeah, show your colors here just a little bit guys. And then, you know, you're you're gonna you're gonna learn something here, and you know the woman's response. Do do you get the impression that the woman felt a bit disenfranchised here, or is she playing uh, in the discussion as well? You know, when she's like, "Well, yeah, but even the do- even the dogs get the scraps," because I mean, she knows she's not she knows she's not Jewish. She knows that the master is the master of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I sort of get the impression that she's not offended by the discussion. Maybe she's seeing also what's happening between Jesus and the disciples and playing into that into that discussion, you know, in the way that Jesus is is uh, coming into it, because it doesn't seem like she's. I don't know. I don't get the impression that she's continuing to beg for her daughter to be healed, but. Uh, you know, she, she, she's not offended by Jesus's answer. No, she's, uh, but she's going along with the discussion with, with the conversation in a way that, 
that keeps the dialogue going in the fashion that it was. Well, she, I mean, she's recognizing she's recognizing reality exactly as it is. The Israelites were in a called position. They were in a special position. She's mm-hmm. not one of them, but mm-hmm. she still has the same master. Mm-hmm. And she trusts that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so so there's no there's no cruelty on Jesus's part in this. He's he we know that he has every intention of healing this woman's daughter. But he's got disciples who keep missing the point on things despite having had multiple lessons up to this point so yep we're just gonna let them we're just gonna let them go for a bit and we're gonna reel it back in and they're gonna they're gonna learn something here because as it as it finishes out jesus praises the woman's faith and he and her daughter is healed right then he doesn't have to go anywhere he didn't have to do anything her daughter is healed and then jesus is able to return does he kind of re- does she kind of remind you of um, who was the was it a centurion that came to him and said you know my servant is ill mm-hmm. and, and and Jesus said something like I can't remember how it came up but I don't remember if he said well wait a minute and I'll come with you or something like that there was some reference to the fact that he wasn't near the servant and the centur the centurion says well I'm a man of authority like you I know how authority works. So right. you, I know that you don't have to come there. You could say it from here and he would be healed. Right. And so, right. again, like this woman, she has that same recognition. Like, I know how this works. The master is the master. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he praises both of their faith. Yeah. You know what? In this whole land, nobody has as much faith as you. You're the example of what the faith yes. faith should be. Yeah. Yeah. And she's not even part of the quote unquote chosen few. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you get so it. Yeah, you guys get it. You get it. These guys following behind me don't get it. <laughs> and isn't that such an interesting? But if you think about it, thing? if you've been conditioned that long, and, you know, and, and Karen would know this, that, you know, they grew up in that society. You know, that was their norm. It's like being engaged on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that's that's where they they, you know, gathered their knowledge and. And set that marker for for faith and that kind of thing. And that's, you know, could be not that it's an an excuse, but that could be where their lack of faith comes in. Because it's just they felt for so long that they had to earn it or it was something that they they were doing, you know, with rules and the legalistic part and and lost that faith component. Yeah. So one of the things that we've talked about in the past is just how you know in the old testament during those times they had fallen into idolatry and so there were all sorts of things that had gone wrong because of falling into idolatry and then now they've made this massive overcorrection and so now they're legalistic right they're they're never going to worship idols again but now the law has become a sort of an idol and so they're not capable of seeing god when he shows up and they're you know they're eventually going to murder him um and and this is a very strange overcorrection because the law itself was meant to be the law of love, and yet they have become hostile towards the outside world, and they've built this wall around themselves of protection. They, that's how they see it. They see themselves as, you know, they're protecting the law of God. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of an interesting thing that our minds do. You know, we we do overcorrect, and yeah. they they had done this, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, I can't, I can't fault them too much because 
the, right. the, the people who had pre- had preceded them had had missed the rules so much that it led to the complete downfall of the nation. And they're trying to avoid that now. But yeah, it's they, they've they've missed the point ever since the law was first laid down. Yep. So, um, you know, when it became all about about me and what I do, then it became difficult for them to do it. And then it led to the downfall. And now it's now it's still all about me and it's what I do. And we have we have to toe this line or we end up where we were before. You know, I get it. I, you know, I, 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 I get it. But I think you, know, you touched were, upon it when you said we we have to toe the line. It's like, OK, there you missed the point because it's God. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and I think, too, it's it's exactly what Amy was saying. It was that overcorrection that said, you know what, when we when we succumb to idolatry and we got off the path that we we're supposed to be, this is what happened to us. We went from the top, you know, David Solomon time to nothing, to being downtrodden captives of other countries. We don't want to be there anyway anymore. So they made that severe overcorrection that you know what, we're, we are never going to do that again. And it's like, okay, that's where it mm-hmm. went off the rails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here in Jeremiah 17, um, it says, Cursed, so this is what the Lord says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. So I think that we are built to worship, and we will worship something and if we if we are not properly oriented toward god something else will naturally step in and and you know we've been talking about this the last couple of podcasts like where where is your attention fixed is it on the right thing that will lead you down the right path to the right end that you would choose if somebody said to you what end would you like to choose well i'd like to choose this end okay are you doing the things that get you there and when you're when you're talking about, and we're coming down again to the difference between observable behavior and internal spirituality, and we humans have such a tendency to disconnect those two, but we don't understand that where we put our attention, we worship, and where we worship, we follow, and the following is where our behavior shows up. So we're trying to cheat the system and take the easiest road to the hardest end. And it will not, does not, cannot, never works. It just doesn't. It doesn't work even in our earthly relationships. How on earth would it work? Well, how on earth and above earth, in all, mm-hmm. all realms, would it ever work in a divine relationship with an unfallen God to whom we are a speck of dust? The chapter continues with uh, people coming to heal uh, Jesus for healing again. And and Matthew doesn't have a whole lot to say about it. It's just a couple of verses. But, the, you know, people are coming into him for all sorts of different reasons. They're uh, lame, blind, mute, maimed, many others, it says. They lay them down at Jesus' feet and he heals them. And you know, the people, when they see this happening, says they marveled at it. You know, just the, the, that healing power of Jesus is fascinating. Where, where uh, Mark takes a slightly different turn, though, on this, and he he zeroes in on one particular person getting healed, and it's kind of a 
it's so, to me, it's sort of a humorous story. It's a man who comes, who is, um, he's a deaf, he's deaf and mute. He can't hear, he can't speak. <laughs> and I don't know, I, I, I chuckle at this because it seems like every time we get a story of Jesus' healing, something different happens. And some of sometimes the methods are so bizarre. <laughs> because here it says that Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ears. Then he spits and touches the guy's tongue. And then he says he sighs and looks up to heaven and says, uh, well, how do I pronounce that? Ephatha, E-P-H-P-H-A-T-H-A. So I'm like, that's easy for you to say. I think it's Ephatha. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I have to chuckle because I'm thinking you're saying this to a man who can't hear and can't speak. And the first thing that he hears you, he hears you say is a word that is practically unpronounceable. <laughs> but basically what he said, what it means is be opened. And so, but I, I don't know. I just, this picture of Jesus sticking his fingers in this guy's ears and I was spitting, I don't know, on the ground, whatever. And then touching the man's tongue. That's just as a weird, that's just a weird picture as well. And, this, you know, when we when we hear about healings from Jesus, we don't always hear about him doing these things the same way. And and so, you know, for this man, this is the way to do it. This is the way to engage with this man. Um, but to me, it just makes a funny picture. I love it. That is that is a very interesting way to think about it. What I love about it is, you know, throughout the scriptures, Jesus always identifies, God always identifies himself as the creator, right? And this is one of those moments when you're seeing the fact that he is the creator. Like he can talk to deaf ears and tell them be opened. And he can, you know, the way that the, the King James says it, it says the strings of his tongue were loosed and he spoke plainly. Like he, he doesn't have a speech impediment. There's nothing wrong with how he speaks. He speaks plainly. Everyone can understand him now. And this is an exciting story because that's who Jesus is. He's, he's the one who has power over life. And that includes our ears. That includes our tongue. Like our, our, all of our abilities, our intelligence, everything is wrapped up in the fact that we come from an intelligent and powerful God. And, and that's why people could identify him. Like people want to say, oh, you know, the reason they thought these miracles were happening is because they were ignorant and they didn't know how this stuff worked. And it's like, oh, yes, they did. Um, they, they had never seen the deaf become undeaf. They had never seen a man who couldn't speak begin to speak perfectly. And, and so they, they could see just like we can see, they were just as intelligent as we were. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think it means where it says he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh? Isn't you know, that, that interesting detail. That's not something yeah, that, that usually. Yeah, that stood out to me too. And I, yeah. I mean, what exactly does it mean by a sigh? You know, is he looking up and just, <sighs> you know, is it, is it like. A relief sigh is it a sigh of um you know compassion to this man's uh situation um does it have i don't know i'm just sort of freeform thinking here is it like by taking a breath is it sort of like uh, being in tune with the you know the the power of god the breath of god that comes into us um, I don't know, lots of different 
It made me wonder. I mean, my first impression, and of course I wasn't there and this is incomplete and it's probably wildly inaccurate, but my first impression would be if I were in his shoes and everywhere I went, I ran into human suffering that was the Mm. result of sin. I would be so filled with hatred towards sin, hatred toward the devil frustration with the people who keep engaging with it and never seeing the difference and compassion for the results that they have just stumbled blindly into and don't even understand. Like there's so much that could go into that. Mm-hmm. Like here's another one. He's just broken. He's just stuck here and he's small and he's broken. Wow. Yeah. That, that kind of makes you want to cry or sigh. Right. Yeah, it's interesting to me that Peter, who was telling all this to Mark, remembers that. Like he remembers that moment. That's part of the story. Yeah, yeah, That's interesting. yeah. It is interesting. It is. It's interesting because any you know, if an author brings out something like that, it was something that that made an impression. And so, like you're saying, if if this is Peter talking to Mark in in Mark's interview of him, um, it made enough of an impression on Mark too to include it here and you know as as karen was saying it it's like the truth of that just kind of dawned on me i think you're probably right where it was just like it's like oh these poor people you know and the idea that jesus could get uh, sort of exasperated over the conditions of sin here on the earth and what it does to us physically spiritually mentally all of that and you know, this one is pulled out of a multitude because it talks about, you know, we're told about a multitude of people coming to Jesus for healing. And this one particular story, which, you know, to some degree, you know, it looks weird with guy putting you know, Jesus, putting his finger in a guy's ears and touching his tongue, you know, making making these these motions, these actions to for for someone's benefit. Um and everything about Jesus's demeanor in this just I think should tell us something about the character of God and how he how he feels about our situation. And, you know, he is Jesus said many times I'm here to heal and to save the lost. And, you know, here's another lost one. And uh, let's see what we can do for him. There's uh, so many of them. And there's so many. Yeah, there's so many, but this this one in particular stood out to the author, and um, I, th- I think it's because I think it's because they were seeing something in Jesus' character right then, where where he was showing like this maybe just a little bit of extra compassion at this in this moment. It, it's it is it is interesting, it's fascinating, and it's a it's a. It's a vivid reminder to us of the character of God, who he really is, his desire to heal and to save. And for and for those of us reading the Bible, you know, thousands of years later, it's to me, it's such a great glimpse into how our situation hits the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 He can he can fix it literally with his spit. Yeah, that's how small our problems are to him. Yeah. Like we're in over our depth, like we're lying in the mud, unable to get out, wondering how we ended up here. And he's just like, I can literally fix this with my saliva. Yeah. 
Right. Right. <laughs> that is so awesome. <laughs> Let me spin on this thing and get it working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody was talking the other day about how moms will clean their kids' face. <laughs> well, you know, you lick your tongue and clean your kids' face. And it's gross, but I bet all of our mothers did it to us at some point. And we probably have done it to our children. And, and it's sort of like Jesus here. Let's just fix this. Well, yeah. And that's an interesting point, Matt, because think about how many times in the Old Testament Jesus or the Lord gives this reference to himself as a mothering figure. Like God mm. is our heavenly father. And we always think that way, but he, maybe it is just something like that. Maybe the spit thing has to do with the fact that this is a, a gentle behavior. Like this mm-hmm. is what a mom can do. There's an intimacy between a mother and a child where the child isn't horribly grossed out by that. I mean, maybe a little as we get older, <laughs> yeah. but the, the yep. child's like, the child understands that and takes that as sort of an intimate thing. Like that's just mm-hmm. my mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's just mom's spit. It's kind of gross, but uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, in this case, it's dad's spit or our yeah. older brother's spit. You know. Right, right, right. Yeah. 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 An in- yeah, a bit of an intimacy there and uh, a special, a little, a little bit of special care put onto it. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, the, the, the chapter ends with the feeding of 4,000, which we've talked about 5,000 before, but it ends with 4,000. But I think I want to save this for our next episode, because when we get into Matthew 16, Jesus refers back to this and, um, it's a similar story, so I don't know that we're going to need to spend a whole lot of time on it, but I think it feeds better into what we'll talk about next week on that. So do we have any final any final thoughts about what we've talked about today with defilement from, with, defilement from within or... May the uh, Lord spit on all your problems. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like a bumper sticker or a, t- or a t-shirt. Maybe, maybe, maybe we should market that, and it's going to be better than than WWJD. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Trust the Lord's spit can can work everything out, huh? Yeah, can <laughs> fix anything. Yep. Right. All righty. Well, I gotta go, and uh, <laughs> we got the, got got things to do today. So, um, all right. So I think that's going to be our time for this week. Next week, we will get into Matthew chapter 16 with that context of the 4,000 feeding the 4,000. And um, we'll see. I'm not going to I'm not going to try to promise any more than Matthew 16 because we if we go further, fantastic. If not, so be it. <laughs> so with that, remember, you can reach out to us at ATTV podcast at the adventure Check us out on Facebook. Be sure you subscribe to the podcast. We meet you in your booth each and every week. And share the podcast with others so they can so they can uh, they, they can be a part of it too. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.